Hi, this is Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We have a special edition of the podcast for you ahead of the launch of early voting and election day coming up November 5th. Early voting starts October 26th and runs through November 3rd, so get ready to experience the new jolt of early voting and all the excitement that comes with it, if that's your thing, or you can wait till election day. Um, but today we are discussing the questions that will be on your ballot, five yes or no questions on the back of your ballot. And we have a couple of experts here joining us to discuss those five questions. They will be able to explain some of what's going to be on the ballot, but also give their organization's takes on how you should vote. So we're very pleased to be joined today by Rachel Bloom, who is the Policy Director at Citizens Union. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And Susan Lerner, the Executive Director of Common Cause New York. Thanks for being on the show again. Yes, Happy to be back. back. Thank you. So the big one for both your organizations is number one, ranked choice voting. Yes. Um, who wants to take a stab at explaining how this works? <laughs> ranked choice voting is actually a very simple idea. It's a way to help voters make sense of crowded candidate fields, which luckily we have a lot of here in New York City because of our excellent campaign finance system. Uh, I'm sure listeners have had the experience of going uh, to vote in a city council primary and finding out that they had to try and decide um, between six and sometimes as many as 12 people running. So uh, we believe that ranked choice voting, which allows you to vote to rank up to your five preferred candidates, but to vote for only one, if that's what you prefer to do, um, is really uh, well-suited for our election context here in New York City. And I'll say briefly that um, question one on the ballot, that's the main one, but there's three elements of elections in there. We can get to the others. Uh, but ranked choice voting, as designed in this ballot measure, would apply to primaries and special elections, not general elections. That's, that's correct. correct. Yeah. And for all city offices, mm -hmm. not just the ones that would have runoffs under the current system. Right, that's one of the biggest right. things here. Is right, it? that's what I was going to say. So right now, if you're running for one of the three citywide seats, you have to get 40% of the vote in order to uh, win it in the primary straight out and not have a runoff. Um, but when you have a council race and you have eight people running, someone can win with 17% of the vote. Um, and then that person, once they win that primary, is most likely going to hold that seat. Uh, they're going to win. Two terms. For two terms, right. for the next eight years. Um, and when you are winning with a small percentage of the vote right now in a council race, you know, you can win with a big district and you can win just because, you know, you are, you know, run the you know, parents association here and you are able to get all the parents in that neighborhood to come out and vote for you and it's enough of a block in a primary that you can win. And so uh, one of the great things about ranked choice voting amongst many is in New York where um, because we have term limits, which is another key thing that we didn't talk about, you know, we, um, we have term limits. So you can only hold office for uh, two terms if you're running in the New York City. So borough president, citywide or city council, um, which means that every eight years there are extremely competitive primaries in these districts. It's not like at the state level um, where, you know, people can hold those seats for 20, 30, 40 years. And you rarely see challenge, serious challengers until very recently. <laughs> yeah. Of course. And, you know, I, I myself have had the uh, the time when it's, you know, you're, you're an open primary for my city council seat, and it feels like an abundance of riches. And how do I pick one over the other? And now we get to pick 
one and two and three and four and five. Uh, if, assuming if it want passes. To. If, if you, right, want you don't have, you can still vote for the one you like. You don't have to. You don't have to rank if you don't want to. If you vote for only one candidate, your ballot will be counted. It won't be rejected by the machine. If you rank three or four, your ballot will still count. It won't be rejected by the machine. But you have the choice to rank up to five. And that's what we really, uh, one of the things we really like about ranked choice voting is that it's giving the voters more choices. So we like to say that there are exciting choices for New York City voters this fall. You can choose whether to vote early or to vote on election day, and then you can choose whether to change the way we vote. And one thing that I get a little bit caught up on is, so basically the idea is, however voters approach ranked choice voting, if it passes, Many voters will decide to do the preferences. They won't just pick the one. And then things are tallied up. This would institute a 50% cutoff, not the 40% mm -hmm. that we have now for the runoffs. If nobody gets 50% of the first place votes, you then go into a little bit of a complicated tabulation where whoever comes in last, the people that filled out that ballot for that candidate to be first... first their second preferences then get a vote. Are redistributed. And when you actually do it physically, as I have, with sample ballots for ice cream flavors or at watch parties for Democratic presidential contenders, that it, it's literally redistributing the piles, and it actually, when you see it happen, it's pretty clear. It's complicated to explain, mm -hmm. but it actually is a fairly straightforward process, which is going to be done by the computers that already tabulate our votes. Yeah, and it's also... It's popular. It's not just, you know, it's also extremely popular in the places uh, where it has been put into effect, which are largely um, municipal elections in states across the country. It's been extremely popular with voters, and I know sometimes mm -hmm. people think, oh, this sounds so complicated. But, you know, if you talk to people who are using ranked choice voting, they really like it. Um, and I have faith that we will be able to implement I, it well. I think New York voters are at least as smart as Santa Fe and San, <laughs> and San Francisco and Minneapolis voters. But, you know, I, I like to point out, if you've been to an ice cream store on a busy weekend and they're out of your first flavor, you don't just go away. You pick another flavor. And if that's popular and they're out of that flavor, you pick a third flavor. We all do this really um, very automatically. Ask any 10-year-old boy who follows baseball who his four or five favorite pitchers are, and he'll be able to tell you. Do you have any so it sounds like both your organizations support a yes vote on that yes. question. Just in the way of playing devil's advocate, have you heard any arguments against it that at least have merit? I think what people... I have are, one or two, so let's hear it. Well, I, think what, <laughs> I mean, no, all Ben's have merit, so have so, you heard any others? Well, I mean, I don't know what Ben's are, but I think what people are most concerned about is a change that they think might be confusing, right? And that's why I think Rachel's point that it's very popular in the mm -hmm. cities that have it is important. But I think it's also important for people to understand that organizations like Citizens Union, organizations like Common Cause New York that advocate to adopt this are not suddenly going to not be interested in ranked choice voting. 
we're going to be involved in a very extensive education campaign if it's adopted by the voters to be sure that it's successful when it's used in 2021, that it's not a surprise to people who are Russian speakers or Chinese speakers or in the African-American community. Um, we've been doing an extensive voter education program for early voting. And we're going to do as much or more for ranked choice voting mm -hmm. in New York City if the voters decide they want to adopt this reform. So one one positive that I don't know that was mentioned is this idea that it's supposed to encourage, you sort of said it with the idea that you can win a crowded race with a small block of your voters if you get it out. And sort of the flip side positive of that with ranked choice voting is that candidates will be pushed to campaign more broadly, right? Because you want people Correct. to not only fill you out as number right. one, but as number two, mm -hmm. you know, and this sort of push to be everybody's first or second choice. Right. Um, one thing I guess that I've heard is a little bit of a concern is this idea that what happens when someone wins a race who didn't get the most first place votes in the first go around. So they, they show they have a broader base of sort of people that like them but they didn't really win the balloting, you know, initially. Well, but, I mean, that's, it's a different calculation, right? You know, what we're really talking about is sort of a, you know, thinking of the totality of the vote as a pie chart. And right now what we have is a winner who, while they're the largest slice of the pie, is still a minority slice of the pie. Mm -hmm. We're looking at the whole pie. And what we're suggesting is that ranked choice voting really helps broaden the base of support. What we have is a consensus winner mm -hmm. as opposed to a first across the post. Winner. Right. And a lot of districts in New York City, um, you know, you look at council districts and they can be so disparate in the neighborhoods they touch, the communities they touch, the languages spoken there. Um, and this is really going to force candidates to expand their outreach, their messaging, their communications in a way that they don't have to right now right. Um, because they, you know, they know, uh, look, anytime you change the way an election is run, the people who have been elected through the system that already exists, they have their arms up in a tizzy. It doesn't matter what it is. They're very concerned about how it's going to impact them. Um, and so, you know, but it doesn't mean that it's not a good change. It just means it's it's a new way of doing something, and that can scare people. Do you think the candidates will cut deals and uh, establish arrangements to deal with the fact that, you know, hey, I'd like to be number two for your voters? Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> do we have a full sense of, in the system we have now, which is different from the Santa Fe's and the other cities down, the kind of impact this will have, and, and also whether this will have the effect of sort of muting some of the ideological differences in our elected bodies because there'll be kind of a drive toward appealing to the broad center? Well, actually, I think it's somewhat different. One, right now what we have is candidates who are passionate for a particular position and articulate it well, and people feel, well, that candidate doesn't have a chance to win, so I don't want to waste my vote on somebody that I'm ideologically aligned with who I'm told won't win. Now you don't have to worry about the spoiler effect. You can vote for the candidate that you feel is uh, closest to what you want to see. Um, and in terms of the idea of candidates will get together, yes, mm -hmm. candidates will get together. Candidates who are ideologically aligned are able to go out together and say, 
we all espouse this particular position. We think this policy should change in this way. Vote for for us as your one, two, and three. I've seen extraordinary commercials. Particularly, I'm thinking of one from Oakland where three women running for the same council district are all cross-endorsing each other and talking about the good experience that each one, the other ones have that make them a good candidate for city council. You can't even imagine that here. Think of all the debates we have where candidates are asked to say something nice about an opponent and they're like, Oh, gee, because they're afraid to say something nice. This is the opposite. Yes, people who are ideologically aligned will be able to go out and talk to the voters about the policies they jointly hold instead of savaging, savaging each other to try and distinguish themselves. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I mean, they did that in San Francisco, the most recent election, mm-hmm. but also... You see that people they, people don't like negative advertising. It turns them off from elections. They they want they want nicer elections. They want cleaner run elections. And um, I think that is ranked choice voting will contribute to that in a positive manner. And we've seen it in other cities. Mm-hmm. Any other last thoughts that we didn't get to on question number one? There, are, as I said, that the ranked choice voting is the big one. There's a couple other um, aspects of question one. Voters should know. There will be five yes or no questions, and each one has multi-parts. So we're only hitting some of the highlights here. Everybody listening, hopefully, will also do some reading up um, on the on the five questions because they have a total of 19 proposals within them. Question two. Question two on the ballot deals with sort of altering some of the structure around and giving a little more teeth to the Civilian Complaint Review Board, which is tasked with um, investigating allegations of misconduct by police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, Citizens Union is in favor, as is Common You, you Common yeah. Cause says vote yes on all five? We do. Okay. But you're both in favor, but <laughs> Citizens Union has done a little more work on this, so yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is really interesting what they decided to come up with. I will say that um, for those of you uh, following the meetings, the Civilian Complaint, Civilian Complaint Review Board, uh, CCRB, really got the most amount of people, community members, testifying, protesting, disrupting um, at, at these commission meetings and hearings. So... I will say that I, you know, what they came up with, a lot of them are their tweaks to the Civilian Complaint Review Board system that we've been asking for um, for quite some time. So it, um, one of the things, it gives the CCRB a protected budget. Um, one of the things that we've really pushed for, so every time it will require um, the police commissioner to explain when he or she deviates um, in discipline from that recommended by the CCRB. So that means if the CCRB says, you know, Officer Bloom, uh, you know, uh, she should get uh, suspended for without pay for six months, and then the commissioner only suspends my pay for one month. Um, now he has to explain why he made that deviation. Um, it also um, it says if you test if you give false information uh, in the course of a CCRB uh, matter, uh, then they can um, they can. Uh, 
it investigate the truthfulness of your statements, uh, which seems right, that's, like that's a, kind of a significant uh, one. <laughs> right. but, but I guess, <laughs> but, how, but it requires a law, right. a, a charter revision. That is kind of shocking. This is such a mild common sense reform. If somebody's lying to you, you should be able to investigate the lie if they are the accused officer. And only right, only if they're right. the right. officer under. Well, this gets they, back to the fact that the CCRB's purview is is. Crafted very narrowly. Very yeah. narrowly. As you said, a little strengthening. Mm -hmm. And I think the key here is little. Little. <laughs> I mean, and, and as you'll see, if you were, you know, we had hearings last week about you know, about the police. Anything to do with the police is so charged. Sure. Anything to do with the police is very difficult um, to get through, especially when a lot of what are... Um, well, much of what we can do is hamstringed by state law. So um, it also allows delegation of subpoena power to the CCRB. And so these are all things that are going to strengthen the CCRB, but also allow um, a bit more transparency and accountability to making sure that, you know, what the CCRB, the CCRB spends a lot of time investigating matters, matters and complaints, and now there's going to be a little bit more heft to it, and there's going to have to be an explanation, um, and they're going to have a a little bit more ability to dig in deeper. And I, I can't imagine um, why someone would oppose that, but if you can come up with a reason, I'd love to hear it. I'm sure that the uh, PBA and the <laughs> detectives union would be happy to tell I'm you I'm sure what. they would, but... <laughs> the, um, one of the other things that's more structural is this proposal would add two new members to the CCRB, oh, yes. giving the public advocate an appointment, and then also, and this is a pretty interesting tweak, having the chair of the board appointed jointly by the mayor and the city council speaker, which is pretty interesting because even just recently there's been some questions around whether the mayor is has a little bit too much uh, involvement in the CCRB's decisions. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be, you know, an independent board, but of course the mayor reports, appoints the uh, bulk of the members on the chair. Speaking of uh, appointments, uh, that's one of the topics addressed in question three, the appointment of the corporation council. But question three obviously also does wrap together some other issues, and that is why Citizens Union is recommending a no on yeah. that one. Um, we're rec recommending a no vote. So, uh, you know, every other question that you'll have on the ballot is very focused on a specific section of the charter. Question three is is going to be amending several different sections of the charter. It's not what we would call good, you know, a good way of legislating. It's it's you know, rather than have one issue rule. Yeah, it's <laughs> rather than having eight separate questions, they had five and they just threw a bunch of things into question 3. Um some of the th parts of question 3 we support, some of them we haven't necessarily taken a position on, and some we oppose. And so one of the ones that we oppose is um, is giving um, expanding appointing powers to the conflict of to the COIB, uh, the conflict of interest board. Uh, our feeling is is that largely what you know we we have researched it. We spoke with some members appointed who are on the conflict of interest board. We found that. Um, there's concern that, you know, if you have uh, different appointing agencies, then they're each going to have to feel like they need to represent their office instead of actually dealing with the issue at hand. Um, and also concerns that, you know, really the conflict of interest board is looking at what, you know, for the most part, they are dealing with uh, issues that pertain to the mayor. Um, that is the vast majority of their work. Um, and so that is why, you know, we are we are encouraging a no vote on question three. 
Do you recommend? We recommend yes. a yes vote. We think it's relatively mild. We've had concerns about the um, capture of the conflict of interest board for a while. We feel the conflict of interest board has a tendency to soft pedal the executive, um, and we would hope that expanding the uh, appointing authorities would actually give the conflict of interest board a little more independence and. Uh, perhaps a sharper eye on some of the requests, particularly for waivers that it gets from the executive. Right. So on that one, this question, if approved, would get would at, replace two members of the conflict of interest board currently appointed by the mayor with one appointee of the controller and one of the public advocate. Two other aspects of question three I just wanted to highlight quickly, and I don't know if anybody has comment on them, but is that it would... Um, expand the ban on lobbying mm -hmm. of officials who leave city government from one year to two. Which makes it, uh, which would then bring it in line with the federal and the state standards, and, and uniformity in this area is good. Seems, seems like a solid uh, proposal there. And then the other one that I think is a little bit controversial is um, requiring advice and consent from the city council on the appointment of basically the top lawyer uh, in city government of the Corporation Council. Yeah, and I will say that originally they were considering um, advice and consent and having to renew it every two years. That was something they were originally Yeah, proposing. that would have been too much. Yeah. But you're okay with the idea of the city council getting to weigh in on who the Corporation Council I, is? I think I think it's worth, uh, worth trying uh, to see how it works out. Uh, I don't... I think that... We have such an extraordinarily powerful mayor situation that modest improvements or modest increases in the city council's power um, is uh, very worthwhile. I mean, the other thing that's come up there recently, and I think you might have covered some of this at City Limits, is, is that in, in legal matters, the Corporation Council does represent uh, the city council and the executive and even maybe the borough presidents. Um, and so I think there was a little bit of a push there to have the council get to weigh in on who that person is. Yeah, and just to make it very clear systemically that this is not the mayor's lawyer. It mm -hmm. is the city's lawyer. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. 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 Question, Question four, four deals with the city budget, uh, rainy day fund, minimum budgets for the public advocate and borough presidents. Uh Susan, you first. What do you think about this um, one? I think it's um, unfortunate that we need to set a minimum standard yeah. on some of these offices that they they become their budgets where have been political footballs at different times. Yeah, it's um, but if we have to do it, we definitely need it because they have been political footballs. And a rainy day fund just makes good common sense. You know, we're still struggling with some of the things that were adopted in the '70s when the fiscal status of the city was a mess. And so I think this is just catching us up to where we actually are now. And <clears throat> that one, folks should know, voters in New York City can give sort of the initial approval for the city to set up a rainy day fund, but it would still need to then go for approval from the state because of the fiscal crisis mm -hmm. and some of the monitoring that the state has been charged with. But at least city voters could get the ball rolling on, on the rainy day fund. Um, I think it's harder for the state legislature to say that there's no need to have this change when the voters of New York City adopt it. Mm -hmm. I think it, it helps pass this sort of thing through the legislature where there's a tremendous amount of inertia in giving up any powers. 
And I'll also add on the on the guaranteed budget for the public advocate and the borough presidents, there's also sort of a, a caveat to it that if there are very challenging economic times with a explanation, the mayor, you know, could propose. If the mayor determines that there are challenging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, again, these are not wildly radical, right. huge, transformative ideas. Yeah. And I think if you sat and explained, you know, what has happened in the past with the budgets of the public advocate when they disagreed with the mayor or, you know, a borough president, they would understand why why we have to have a, a law, a part of our charter that, you know, yeah. defines what that minimum is going to be. A modest floor, by the way, mm -hmm. that yeah. is, is far below what the budget for the public advocate used to be, yeah. as your current executive yeah. director is very well aware. Exactly. And a modest floor, which we will, you know, which uh, it is still less than what it would cost to have a runoff election for By the public several, advocate. Right, several <laughs> multiples. On, on question one, with ranked choice voting also sometimes being known as instant runoff voting, we didn't even get that much into the fact that we've had these very costly runoffs that very few people participate in. True. Anyway, let's get to question five. <laughs> question five is about land use, and this mm -hmm. is an area where there was a lot of discussion about bold ideas during uh. the course of the process, and then the questions came out, and there seems to have been, how do we put it, a disparity between the boldness of that discussion and what we see here. So Common Cause was one of the groups, and I'm not sure whether Citizens Union was or not, I apologize for not having that recollection, that participated in a working group that was initiated in the city council and then resulted in a regional planning association report that was a set of recommendations for issues that should be used to reconsider how to reform um, and rejigger our land use process because it's really not serving the city well. I would argue it's not serving the developers or the public well. Um, and so we had great hopes that this Charter Revision Commission, which I think uh, I, um, you know, understood some of the impetus for appointing it, was to take on mm -hmm. land use mm -hmm. in particular. To take on the tough issues that, that other people were scared that's right. to take and, on. And we actually <laughs> diffuse it. That's right. <laughs> that we at Common Cause actually, in our first testimony, said we would be thrilled if you take up ranked choice voting. But if the only thing you did was to spend a year struggling with land use, you would be uh, and come out with a complete recasting of our land use, our Euler process, it would be a great service to the public. Well, the commission chose basically to to punt yeah, on Yeah, very issue. small tweaks here. Yeah, I mean, and in our recommendation, we specifically say we wish they had gone further. I mean, oh, yeah. all they're basically doing is requiring the Department of City Planning to transmit a project summary to the borough president, to the borough president, the borough board, and community board at least 30 days before a ULERP application is certified. Well, right, mean, before, before it's locked in that the city says it's okay, you have 30 days. Yeah. So that's more than we have now, mm -hmm. which is zero, but it's not like a real participation in the process, which is what we were hoping. The ULERP does not have enough public input before the plans are approved so that the public has no alternative but to go nuts after mm. they learn about the project, to sue, to, you know, uh, demonstrate, to just go to the wall because there's no other way to have input. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. 
Was there anything else you had in mind? No, that I was, think that, yeah. that raises a kind of a larger question. This would be the last one I asked, and you can take us out. Uh, so I have a friend who sort of wishes there was ranked choice voting on these proposals. He could say <laughs> not just good, good idea or bad idea, but good idea but not quite far enough. And so if you had a friend who thought these proposals were not objectionable but just like didn't really do very much on a long list of what we need to do, what's the strategically smart way to vote? Do you vote yes? and hope that that is an increment toward future change? Or do you vote no because it's just not good enough? Well, there's the Hobson's choice that we as good government <laughs> advocates are constantly facing mm. when we've advocated for something transformative and we get, quote unquote, incremental, incremental. change. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, um, if the voters turn down these proposals, even though ultimately we wish they were bolder, um, for two through five, that will be interpreted by elected officials, as you see. They wouldn't even do this small change, so it's a third rail, we should stay away from land use, or we should stay away from budgeting, because the voters don't want any change. That's how it will be interpreted, I believe, unfortunately, and therefore we believe a yes vote is, is a step towards larger, more transformative changes in these areas. Rachel, do you agree? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say that, you know, look, I know someone who said we should vote no on everything because it shouldn't have been on this. Why are we off having year. it on yeah, this off-year election? This. Uh, which I will it. say, you know, I asked the speaker that. He had a meeting when they first announced there was going to be this, the People's Commission, and they he made this big thing and had, you know, community groups from all over the city come to City Hall and talk it up and then, you know, <laughs> I mean, but I think that we, we take what we can get and we work off of it and if you don't take the smaller pieces, then you're never going to get to the bigger ones. I mean, I've been working in politics for 15 years, Susan, even longer, and I'm sure we both can tell you that it's rare that you ask for something and you get all of what you want. You grab onto them ring by ring until you get where, where you're going, but it can take you a very long time to get where you were going. The first um, bill that was introduced in the legis in the city council for ranked choice voting was in, I think, 2010, following the 2009 runoff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ranked choice voting has been lined up for a while. Back then, we were calling it instant runoff, but it's you know pretty much the same thing. And so, I agree with Rachel. We take the changes when we can get them. We push for as much as we can get. And for ranked choice voting, we are getting a full ranked choice voting mm -hmm. system on the ballot. And hopefully, voters will come out. We're doing everything we can to let people know they have an opportunity to, you know, as I said, address some exciting choices this go around this fall, um, and we hope that we'll all be surprised by the turnout. Yeah, and I would just say one thing also, which is that we had another charter last year that was a mayoral charter. This is different. It's appointing bodies from the council and borough presidents and citywides. And, you know, while it didn't go far enough, it went further than, you know, the Charter Commission uh, ballot proposals in 2018. I mean, yeah. we really pushed for, uh, we really, really pushed for ranked choice voting. And there were a lot of people coming out in 2018 for land use reform. So maybe it's not as far as we want to get, but we're already, you know, building off of what happened in 2018 and seeing more in 2019. <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll just say in closing, um, you know, there are some, the, the ranked choice voting question, number one, obviously is, is significant, as you're saying, with the others that are seen as more tweaks, 
there are some significant tweaks, you know, as far as tweaks go, whether it's the CCRB stuff, like it or not, mm -hmm. there's some significant stuff there that could have an impact. I know that, you know, the folks over at the Citizens Budget Commission are excited about the rainy day fund right. possibility. Um, and some of these protected budgets, again, like it or not, some people don't like it uh, for public advocate borough presidents and the CCRB are also as far as tweaks go, you know, somewhat significant. So there's some interesting stuff here. I think the turnout question and the and the fact that these things might move ahead with very few people voting is a troublesome issue that's worth exploration as further charter commissions go. Well, I think that low turnout is troublesome in any election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I do also want to say in closing to acknowledge uh, Gotham Gazette is a publication of Citizens Union Foundation, the sister organization of Citizens Union, where Rachel is the policy director, so I want to make sure to, to uh, get that out there on our recording. And I also want to uh, thank you, Susan Lerner of Common Cause, for joining us, and Rachel Bloom of Citizens Union. Thank you. Thank you. And All see right. you at the polls. Yes. Really? Absolutely.